Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey guys, Neil here. Just wanted to let you in on something totally new. Circa is a brand new travel channel. It's filled with shows to help you learn how to travel this amazing world. Our guides are written and hosted by locals with dedicated episodes about food, music, history, architecture, sports, fashion, and much, much more. Let's go and meet the elements in Iceland. Let's try. Should we do the formalities at the end, or should we get them over and done with? What are the formalities? Welcome to Passport. This is the first episode of Passport. I thought you were going to break up with me. I would do that in a McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) A destination isn't always a place. Sometimes it's a new way of seeing things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. We both live in Barcelona, but we're not really from here kind of from everywhere. We're friends, filmmakers, and world-class ramblers. Passport is the show that will take you to the places you've never heard of. We'll introduce you to the people who you would never have otherwise met, and we'll tell you the kind of stories you only hear when you throw away the guidebook. This is Passport. So Passport is a show that tells stories from all over the world. When Andres and I started making Passport, this isn't the way we thought we would introduce ourselves to the world. COVID-19 is a horror show. There's no denying it. But it's also true that it's brought people together in a way that we couldn't have imagined. And 
Strangely, in producing Passport these last few weeks, we realized that there's no better time to tell these stories and to travel the world together. So let's learn a little more about each other and try and understand and make the world ours again. And let's have the trip of a lifetime when nobody can. No masks, no gloves required. Stay safe and enjoy the very first episode of Passport in Belfast. Let's do it. This week on Passport, we head to Belfast in Northern Ireland, a city which has been the setting of two of the most famous wars in recent history. Places hurt by war often become destinations for something called conflict tourism, where travelers are drawn to the story of a troubled past. From 1968 to 1998, the Northern Ireland conflict raged. It was a violent, sectarian war between the Unionists, who wanted to remain a part of the United Kingdom, and the Nationalists, who instead wanted Northern Ireland to become part of the Republic of Ireland. Car bombs, hunger strikes, Bloody Sunday. More than 3,000 people were killed. More than 20 years ago, the Good Friday Peace Accord ended what the Northern Irish call the Troubles. That was the first war. It was a war which divided. The other war in Northern Ireland might have an even greater impact. What's crazy is that this second war, it's fictional. We're going to explore how a city divided by giant walls and marred by the Troubles is being reborn with the help of the most famous TV show ever made. A TV show all about walls and troubles. Game of Thrones. At the end of our story, we'll give you our saved pins. These are the five best places we discovered making this episode. The places that you'll want to explore on your next trip to Belfast. But first, a confession. Neil has never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. It's true. It's crazy, is what it is. I've never been to Belfast, and I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. That's amazing. Stop. What's a Stark soldier? I don't know who Stark is. Yep. I get... Okay, so there's obviously... There's different um, legions. Houses. Houses. So there's Stark House. Yep. There's something that sounds like Turgid. (laughs) (laughs) Turgenian. Terenogen. Turgid. (laughs) There's... um, the chosen one who I guess would be like Daniel Radcliffe with the scar on his head. Harry, <laughs> Harry, you don't even know Harry Potter? Yeah, and then the main girl ends up going with the red-headed guy. I'm super confused now. And then Radcliffe dies, right? <laughs> yes. That's almost more impressive. The question is, do you ever want to see it? I would sacrifice 80 hours of a television show to watch you try and put it okay. down in 30 seconds. I can I can do it. I think I can do it in two words. Okay. Dragon tits. <laughs> to help us tell a story, we brought in Billy Craig in tune. We sent him to Belfast to talk to the people who lived through war, but are now at the forefront of a burgeoning television industry in the most unlikely of cities. Which is f- fun to say, Billy Craig and Tune. That's nice. That's nice to hear. <laughs> I've always thought it was a bit of a silly name. 
Billy Craigan tune. Is it Irish? The Craigan part definitely is. So that brings us tidally to Ireland. <laughs> Smooth transition straight into it. Let's see you can do the entire history of Northern Ireland and Belfast in the least amount of time possible. <laughs> who, can sum up, who can sum up this stuff in the show? I mean, I've written mine down. I'm, oh, I am, my God. I do, well done. I'm terrified of well this. Well done, you know, Billy like, Craig and uh, explain, right. Explaining something that is like so complicated, but, yeah. you know, known for being so. And, you know, something so that... So I've, I've reduced it down to its bare bones. It is. Like, I'm not being biased. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's, it's one of the fundamental linchpins of what's going on now. Everybody's hearing Brexit. It all comes back to this. Yeah, I'll break it. I'll break it down for you both. The troubles in Northern Ireland began in the late 1960s. A civil war between mostly Catholic Irish nationalists and mostly Protestant British Unionists. So fundamentally, the nationalists wanted a united Ireland, and the Unionists wanted to remain a part of the UK. Not every Protestant was a unionist not every catholic was a nationalist fair distinction to make it is a it was a 25 plus years of war fought in communities yeah um you know targets were family homes bars workplace that history is totally relevant but i think when we're talking about what does northern ireland what does belfast look like today we are talking more about what happened during the 60s 70s 80s and 90s right the way places look the way people live has been totally affected by those decades but it's important to know that you know as tragic and terrible as it was they have achieved peace they live at peace but it's it's a precarious peace when billy was planning his trip to belfast there was one person he knew he really needed to meet a local star an extra from Game of Thrones. I've been planning this trip to Belfast, having just seen Jeannie Finley's documentary, The Last Watch, which follows the making of the last series of Game of Thrones. The star of the doc isn't someone you'd expect. His name is Andy McClay, a featured extra in 10 episodes of the hit television series. In fact, he's probably the world's most famous extra. Andy grew up in Derry, an old walled city in Northern Ireland and the starting point for the Troubles. Game of Thrones fans went berserk for him. Denver, Colorado was the first Comic-Con we did. And I was walking down the street with the boys, and a car just drove past, and a guy just looked out the window, and then pulled the car over, and stopped, and went down the window, and he said, are you the guy from the Game of Thrones documentary? And I was all, yeah. And he goes... Oh my God. And he got out of the car and he goes, Sharon, get out of the car, right? <laughs> and he goes, dude, what the fuck are you doing here? Understanding how Andy ended up getting mobbed by Game of Thrones fans at a Comic Con in Denver is really the story of how Northern Ireland emerged from a war to become one of the premier filming locations in the world. And Andy has got this remarkable perspective of being front and centre for both of these pivotal moments that shaped Belfast as it is today. We'll meet Andy properly in a moment, but first, Billy's going to Belfast. My mother's family is from Belfast. I've heard stories of a complicated past there my whole life without fully understanding. 
but sometimes traveling to a place with the assumption that you know nothing about it is the only way to go. When you arrive in Belfast, the airport is plastered with Game of Thrones posters. Welcome to Belfast? No. Welcome to Westeros. But before we get to Andy and Game of Thrones, I wanted to take a little tour of the city. So with only three hours sleep, I went to brush up on a history of a nation still dealing with its past. The city's black cab tours are a staple of Northern Ireland's tourism trade. I was picked up in the centre of town by a friendly guy called Pete. Pete is Catholic. He was on the side of the nationalists during the conflict, fighting for independence from England. But over the years, he's made friends on both sides. Pete is full of energy. He's grey-haired, so he's wise. He's got a face full of freckles. I kind of don't know how old he is. He offers me a chocolate bar, and then we head off in the cab. Pete didn't waste any time. He got right into it as we drove around the city. Shank Hill is Northern Ireland's largest British Protestant community. The Falls is Northern Ireland's largest Irish Catholic community. About 70,000 people live here, 120,000 people live there. So two big areas, 200,000 almost between them. Wow. The first peace wall that was built in the city was built between these two neighbourhoods. Did you catch that? Yeah. Pete talks pretty fast. I'll paraphrase. Two of the most populated neighbourhoods in Belfast, one is Protestant and the other is Catholic. They still live in very segregated communities. The first peace walls in Belfast were built in 1969 after the Northern Ireland riots, an effort to minimise violence between Catholics and Protestants. The beginning of a conflict simply known as the Troubles. Today the walls are still in use. The crazy part, Billy, there's four roads that go through it. Each morning, AM, they open the gates. Each evening, PM, they close the gates. Now, there is zero trouble here. We are the UK safest city and Ireland's safest city. So there's not one wall in the city. There's a total of 48 walls spread across Belfast. Fucking hell. 48 separate walls. 20 years after the peace deal, they still close these gates at night and they open them in the morning. Not even the emergency services can get through. Outside the cab, I see that in certain areas, Union Jacks fly outside every house. Murals of men in balaclavas pointing machine guns. Portraits of the Queen, Van Morrison, C.S. Lewis and Liam Neeson. Rows of red brick terraced houses. Near the walls, these homes have their gardens fitted with cages for protection from the other side. Pete points out those that don't as a sign of changing times. It is very safe, but almost 90% of the people who live here have never been there. They were up to separate you and I on a temporary basis. Right. But see the funny thing? They're not on the maps. Right? You go to any of your maps, there's no wall. Right? So we're sitting here. Maps looking that way. There's the wall. I'm going to stab a guess. It's going along Correct. this road. Correct. Right there. Yep. So we don't map them because they're temporary. You heard that right. The walls have never been mapped. They were only supposed to be temporary. 50 years later, they still remain. The segregation here is still very real when you're looking at the city, and for good reason. 
1972, there's a very infamous bomb attack called Bloody Friday. Bloody Friday was 26 bombs set off by the IRA in a one hour period. Helicopters in the sky, trouble breaking out on a daily basis, bomb scars on a weekly basis, or bombs on a weekly basis with bomb scars could be three times a week. <laughs> The Troubles claimed more than three and a half thousand lives. It ripped Belfast open. Houses burnt, families destroyed. The war ended so recently that most remember it as though it were yesterday. In fact, the peace deal, known as the Good Friday Agreement, only came in 1998. Pete drives a black cab, their iconic cab, the same way they are in London. Big, ugly, high-roofed people carriers. I asked Pete about the significance of the Black Cab in Belfast. He explained that the city was in chaos. It became so unsafe for bus drivers to run certain routes that the public transport service was taken over by the likes of the IRA and the UFA, paramilitary groups stationed on either side. The IRA reform, which will explain in 1969, is the provisional Irish Republican Army. So the people who drove the taxis were provosts, same on the loyal side. So no matter what was happening, all hell was breaking loose. No one fucked with the taxis. <laughs> because the boy that's driving it, or the girl that's driving it, they're in fucking trouble. It was the provisional IRA who were driving the cabs. On the other side, it was the loyalist groups. They were untouchable. By this point, my head was swimming. The history of the place is complicated even more complicated than Game of Thrones. Paint this scene for me. You're in this black cab and you're driving around. So you're just driving through the city centre where things look quite normal. And right. He's pointing out buildings where they've had to reinforce glass now because it had been blown up so many times. That, uh, the thing about bombs, he told me, is the bomb itself isn't the dangerous thing. It's the, the debris. It's everything around it. So he's, you know, he's showing me things like that. He's showing me where they used to have um, checkpoints. So the city centre was essentially a, a safe zone. But they had to have sort of security checkpoints at every every stage for people to go through. And that's the crazy thing that I, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know this at all. That they that they still use them. They open them in the morning, they close them in the night. The gates, what are known as the interface areas. The interface areas are the communities that live by the walls. They are the lower income areas. Right. Where Catholic communities and Protestant communities ghettoize themselves. They, you know, there was a point where they, they all kind of, if anyone was living in a mixed area, they split and they'd go into their own areas and the walls would go up in between them. Right. These walls uh, vary in size, but there are various massive gates that go between specifically Shankill Road and the Foles. So the Shankill is the Protestant Unionist. The Foles is the Catholic Nationalist. And specifically, nothing goes through those gates. Not even, not even ambulances, nothing. Emergency services have to go around. That's how seriously it's taken, you know. I would continue to hear stories from cab drivers, pub landlords, family members, each with their own individual take on the troubles. Pete and I drove all over the city, and I saw some of the places devastated by the troubles. The Falls Road and the Shank Hill Road. And then quite by accident, we met John. There he is! I was looking, I was looking. John was a British soldier and also a founding member of the UFF. He would later serve 18 years in the Maze, a major political prison in Belfast. 
Now he lives a peaceful life, and just a few months shy of 80 years old, he continues to work as a painter and decorator. John doesn't look 80 at all. He's fast-talking for his age. He's wearing clothes covered in paint and a flat cap. He looks like a regular at any of the pubs in town. Weirdly, John insisted on taking us home with him. As we enter his house, my head filled with war and the troubles, I see a ton of medals hanging in the hallway. That's all my son's medals. Was he, was he in, the military, in the military as well? Uh, what do you call that? Not karate. Oh. Had a worse. Taekwondo. Taekwondo. Oh, I see, yeah. Embarrassed by my failure to spot the difference between a medal of honour and a regional taekwondo competition, we head through to the kitchen and then into the back garden, where I begin to realise why we have taken this unexpected detour. John's back garden and uh, there's a memorial and it says in memory of all those who paid the ultimate sacrifice in the first and second world wars and every conflict since. I've been in a lot of gardens but I've never been in one with a marble war memorial. I paused for a second and then Pete and John lead me into a shed. John flicks a switch and a mini bar is illuminated by an LED sign of a martini glass that says bar and the radio plays classics from the 90s. The walls are adorned with treasures John has collected over the years. Pictures of Queen Elizabeth II and Union Jacks sit next to medals and berets from John's time in the forces. An ashtray of old cigar butts sits next to a sewing machine where John makes flags. The walls are literally filled with plaques, trophies and trinkets, many of them gifts he received in the service. So much stuff that he must align it all perfectly, just to make it all fit. I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? It's a museum. That's what it is. is. This is the fucking living history. Yeah. This is the living history. And you told me 20 years ago, I had a friend in the Shankill Road who was one of the founder members of UFF, and I said, your head's cut. Absolute gentleman. We call him Peter the Great. Peter the Great. (laughs) It was really sweet to see these guys, 40 years apart and once on opposing sides, now hanging out in a garden shed. It was a sure sign of changing times. And back in the cab, Pete told me it would only get better. Because of the people who are living today that are over 25 years old remember the bullshit. So they're the people that have it, but these new generation coming through, they don't have it. No. The Black Cab Tour hit home. I really didn't expect Belfast's history and its division to be so present and on the surface, even today. The fact is, people continue to live in segregation here. And to them, it's the only viable option for peace. As soon as Billy got there, he sent me a text from the airport. I sent you a video, didn't I? Yeah, it was the first thing. It was, me, yeah. I've landed. I've landed. And literally every wall, there is a, there is, they've got all these crazy big posters with all the characters, you know, sort of like shots from the film. Right. And it says, welcome to Westeros. Yeah. Westeros is here. Yeah. <laughs> and evidently, it's kind of becoming 
an element of their identity. My intention was not to make an episode which is telling the story about the Troubles. So much of the, the positive impact of, you know, the tourism trade that they've achieved now and what they're doing now is contextualized by the, the history of suffering. So once I got there, it, was, it kind of felt imperative that I went and visited the, the affected areas and saw it with my own two eyes. That was the moment where I realized that I knew nothing. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So, we finally get to Andy McClay, someone whose body, mind and life was changed by Game of Thrones. Wild-eyed, immensely bearded, sweet and thoughtful, Andy sits across from me at the kitchen table at his home in Belfast. It's weird because I grew up with helicopters in the sky all the time, just like sitting, watching Saturday morning cartoons, which is Spider-Man, big bowl of cereal. Next thing I just look out the front window and there's an armed platoon moving through the front garden. There's a very famous saying in Northern Ireland by a politician called David Irvine. We must learn from the mistakes of our past to build a better tomorrow. You've got to look at the mistakes of your past so you don't make them again. You know, I would I would like the Troubles to be a, a, a tourism thing only now. You know, come here and hear about our past. It was, it was awful, but we're here to hear what we're doing in the future. Game of Thrones. <laughs> the future. Let's talk about the massive effect that Game of Thrones has had on the country. Just in Northern Ireland alone, the series hired nearly 13,000 extras and 2,000 crew members. That's five times the amount of people who built the Titanic there more than 100 years ago. As the principal filming location, Game of Thrones brought $300 million into the economy. And that's not including ongoing tourism, estimated to be around $60 million per year. I talked to Judith Webb from Tourism Northern Ireland about what all of this has meant for Belfast. Game of Thrones, biggest TV show in the world, has been filmed here for the last 10 years. So as soon as people started to realise that Northern Ireland was the principal filming location, they started to come and we started to recognise that some of our visitors were a wee bit different from the normal. They generally had long beards and uh, wore dark clothes and uh, were going to places maybe that visitors didn't normally go to. So it really has put Northern Ireland on the international stage. Along with tourism... It's also brought about jobs, and it brought a job to Andy, a job that would change his life. You might not think it if you were to look at his IMDB page, which lists Andy as an uncredited Stark soldier in 10 episodes of the show, spanning four seasons. For Andy, it didn't feel like a job. It felt like fate. 
for me, it's been a dream literally come true. It's like, I don't want to say that because it sounds cliched. I remember my brother coming in and reading me The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I was struggling so much in school with reading. It was awful. So he finished that and he was like, right, I've got this new book. It's called The Song of Ice and Fire. And I'm like, is Gandalf in it? And he goes, no. And he just gave me the book and he goes, you know what? You're going to have to read this one yourself. And I, I just fell in love with it. And I'd have to read pages maybe three, four times because like words would jumble up and stuff like this. The Game of Thrones books helped Andy fight his own battle with dyslexia. He read them cover to cover and over and over again. I just continuously read these books. I've read them, oh, I don't know, over 10 times now. It's the only books I read. The story is highly important to me. So, like, to be then allowed to, to come and help make it, it's, it's just been a roller coaster for me as well. Because I love the story so much, I just came on. I've never felt more alive than I have on the set of Game of Thrones. It's the world's biggest television show. It's my favourite story. There's Jon Snow. I love him. Look at me protecting him. This is brilliant. The show, for Andy, and for the thousands of people that worked on it, was so much more than a show. It was a family. And a place where all the broken parts and desperate pieces came together. Where everyone could be a hero. One of my friends came up to me. I sat down and he just went, she's left me, man. And I was all, what do you mean? And he goes, she's gone, man. She's left me. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do? And I just turned to him and I said, listen, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go in there and you're going to get a fry. After you're done with your fry, you're going to go in and put your costume on. Then you're going to go into hair and makeup. You're going to get muck and blood put on you. Then you're going to come out here and me and you is going to go up and slaughter the army of the dead for Jon Snow. Sound good? And he's all, yeah, man, all right. <laughs> we were there and like you're up close and personal with boys in there I mean you're squashed on but like it is the most fun I've ever had pressed up against 499 other men Andy is a born storyteller everyone in Belfast is another fine reason they found their new industry in this crazy city but one story Andy told shifted gears on how serious he and other extras were the extra work was more than just extra work. It was total and utter escapism for people. There was one guy, and I won't say his name. Now, his son was terminally ill. And uh, he came in one day and said that his son had passed away. And we were like, um... Should, should, should you be here, man? Or... And he was like, "That's, I, I have to be here. I mean, like, I, I I knew this was coming. And and I, we were just like, no sweat, man. No problem at all. And we just went about our business like it was any other day on Game of Thrones. Do you know what I mean? That, that sense of catharsis it had for people. People could escape. And that catharsis, the escape... That's exactly the point. It's what Game of Thrones did for millions of people watching the show. 
and it's what Game of Thrones is beginning to do for Northern Ireland. Belfast grew as a city of industry. Rope making, tobacco, shipbuilding and linen. Harland and Wolfe, once the biggest ship manufacturer in the world, built the Titanic here in 1912. It was a grime and grit type of town. But as those industries began to migrate to more modern cities after the Second World War, Northern Ireland had plunged into a depression and the troubles shortly followed. But now those shipyards have been repurposed and rejuvenated. Once again, Northern Ireland has some of the most impressive facilities in the world. This time, they're film studios. Shipping and linen, those two industries died, and then in comes our new industry, the film industry. Obviously, Harlan and Wolf, you would have used that to paint ship parts in, mega parts of ships, and it was like shelter against the rain and the elements. They left it derelict because, you know, it was just as the shipping industry grew smaller, Game of Thrones moved into it, and all of a sudden, you have a film studio, and I love that. Here's Judith again. It's like any city, any country, people are interested in the stories um, of how a country got to where it is, um, and we're not going to hide our story and I think um, you know we, we very much see ourselves in this 21st century and it's not all about the conflict or the politics it's very much about people wanting to come to a country to immerse themselves in that local culture in the stories that are abound really there and certainly Game of Thrones has has changed the narrative for Northern Ireland it's giving people a reason to come we're very proud of that I'm very proud to be from here. I actually think that what's happened here has defined us as a people. We are able to give one of the warmest welcomes in the world and we're reduced out of the basically a war with each other. And that shows the true nature of people in Northern Ireland. They're able to people come here now and they love coming to Northern Ireland. Like I meet so many Americans and they, I love having Americans here because Americans in America would almost think the troubles are in full swing. So whenever they come over here, then they can go home and tell people, go to Northern Ireland, it's totally fine. You know what I mean? Shoot Game of Thrones, there's a big guy with a beard, he'll show you the crack. One of the real take-homes for me was that although the stories of the Troubles are still very much told, you know, I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't get a taxi or I couldn't be at a pub or, you know, I couldn't sit with, you know, people of a certain age, let's say, without hearing some pretty wild tales from, from from those bad times. But one thing that I also noticed speaking to younger people, let's say, is that there's um there's a real desire to tell new stories. They are very much looking forward now and there was a real energy and a real desire to tell new positive stories. We wanted to know how a new generation in Northern Ireland was thinking about the evolution of the city. Living outside of the time frame of the troubles in this new industry, which has landed on their doorstep. Now, in Belfast, there's such a crazy amount of Game of Thrones stuff to do. 
There's dinners and location tours. There's even stained glass windows dotted around the city depicting scenes from the show. The Titanic Studios tour. Even Andy himself gives a tour. So we thought we'd have a little bit of fun with an escape room. A Game of Thrones escape room, of course. We asked Billy if uh, he would like to hop on Tinder, get himself a date, and go to the Game of Thrones escape room <laughs> in uh, Northern Ireland. We do have this uh, young lady's consent. So, Helen, thank you. Helen. Helen. Is this her real name? Helen. Oh, she allowed, oh, so I can't have gone that badly if she's allowed her real name. I've picked a few little moments. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna play them. I don't want to. I don't want to like. I'm excited. I don't want to spear Billy straight out. But it's this one one thing in particular which I just think is so great. It's the best question I've ever heard on a date. So, Tammy Helen. Yeah. Who are you? Don't ask me questions like that. You can't ask me questions like that. I mean, that was that was right up top. Like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> oh, you lady killer. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> you ever started a date by getting someone to sign a form and put a microphone <laughs> on? <laughs> it doesn't set the right mood at all. Um, but let's face it, I mean, my, my date preparation was, was minimal at best. <laughs> I think everybody you meet in Northern Ireland's probably said they've been in the background of some sort of Game of Thrones scene. A lot of my friends were extras. But this is like, this is it. So this is why I was interested in doing this, this episode because like it has been like the main filming location. And they used a lot of locals, like... And yeah, and so the yeah. amount of work, you know, amount of employment that, that's, that's gone into it. This is how like local it gets. Like my dad's friend, came with the van one time to our house and he was like dropping off a part for his car and whatever was in the he had like some of the props of Game of Thrones in the van because his son used to like help making them. <laughs> he's like do you want to see some swords and all like just in the back of the van and he's just dropping stuff off to our house and away he went <laughs> just stuff like that it was really random being like I have Game of Thrones props in the back of my van <laughs> everyone's, everyone's got a little bit everyone's just got bits of everything whereas it used to be the Giants Causeway and Harlan and Wolf and now it's Game of Thrones <laughs> there's a very strange like electricity in the air like you can kind of hear <laughs> even on microphone like there's tension i mean it's a tinder date yeah there's, so. there's something there you guys leave you head towards the escape room where you meet the lovely man matthew okay matthew. nicest email correspondence i've ever had in my life random compliment it's the strangest compliment <laughs> lovely I've dude ever heard. but if you ever book into the game of thrones escape room in belfast expect a fantastic service especially during the emails are they paying for this no. what's happening <laughs> let's have a let's have a little listen of you guys uh trying to work out the escape room so first time escape room the main thing is communication with one another and um, it takes a bit of work but yeah absolutely, <laughs> okay. absolutely. you look really worried no i'm good, I'm good. are you more nervous about what you're getting into or the I'm... fact that you don't know each other no i'm <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, not knowing each other is fine. I'm actually, uh, I'm kind of nervous about how difficult it might be. <laughs> That's your mission. You have one hour to find the wildfire and save King's Landing. Best of luck. <laughs> I neither of us had ever actually done an escape room. Before. I've never done it before. Okay, I was expecting it to be a little more sort of just fun and simple. It's really complicated, like puzzles. They are, it's competition for people, you know, you're doing yeah. them quickly, it's a competition for people. So the, the, the deal was, 
we had to unlock the wildfire to stop the baddies from getting us. God, they have incense burning and everything. How romantic. <laughs> oh, start here. Hey! Did you get it? Yeah! Okay, quick. What is it? <laughs> we have a scroll. <laughs> this is hard, huh? <laughs> this is harder than I thought, yeah. <gasps> yes! A dragon egg! A dragon egg! Um, Did we win? Chess pieces? Oh! Hey! <laughs> Good job, you guys! 50 minutes, which is a fantastic time, I think. You guys got on brilliantly. Yeah. Like, you would. Um, I got the feeling that you'd known each other a long time. You know, if, <laughs> you know, when we watch groups or watch couples or whatever and the way they interact with each other and stuff, you can. You can tell when there's tension, you can tell when there's <laughs> chemistry, and it just we felt get, like we've known each other. We forget to do actually like sort of fight with each other. Yeah. That was fun. That yeah. was fun, huh? Lovely. You make a good couple. High five. High job. Yay. I guess the thing now is that when Brexit goes through and the UK leaves the EU, the wall between Ireland and Northern Ireland is obviously it's going to affect Northern Ireland being able to take advantage of everything that the EU offers. And, you know, it's coming. The White Walkers in this Brexit scenario is just stupid. <laughs> like, is it, coming. Is, is a collective stupid? Just a big wall of stupid yeah. just coming at us. I've never seen a White Walker, but does it look a little bit like Boris Johnson? <laughs> Like that white? That white? No. An army of Boris Johnsons is terrifying. That McDonald Trump, the bastard. Did you just call him McDonald Trump? McDonald, yeah. McDonald's Trump. <laughs> Registered trademark. The end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. From what I've heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes a story about the breakdown of a country, of a place. It becomes like a dissolving of something. The meek will inherit the earth. It's that idea. In the world, when, whenever we take down borders, there's an opening for things to happen. And when we put them back up again, it brings back all that stuff that we had moved past. So is, is the question, you know, can Game of Thrones save Ireland? I don't know. Game of Thrones is a lot simpler. You would rather that any conflict in any place in the world had like a really shitty last season and then just disappeared. Yeah. And then we wouldn't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> exactly. We can move on. It's undeniable that Game of Thrones has changed Belfast. It's changed the focus of the country and the city and given it a new, more positive story to tell. But for me, understanding its impact on the city is a key to understanding the past and the future for a new generation of people there. People looking forward, not backward. In this time of new prosperity and a freer and younger conversation between differing sides, the city walls are starting to crumble. Could this new world-reaching industry be the thing to help bring a city together? Maybe it could. But there's still someone close to Andy who ain't too keen on the show. That's the only thing my mother knows about Game of Thrones is the name Jon Snow. She watched season one, episode one, got to the end of it, and then said to me, 
are they not brother and sister? And I went, Wait, they are brother and sister, mother. And she goes, what type of dirty shite are you showing me? <laughs> she goes, oh, I'm not watching any more of that. She left the room and uh, my dad goes, uh, have you got episode two? <laughs> So each week on Passport, we tell you a new amazing story from a different country, from a different city, and from a different perspective. The places we discover on each trip often help shape our story. So if you've loved this week's episode, here are our saved pins. These are the places which stuck in our mind. The best recommendations from the locals and from our story. So unlike me, if you've actually seen and love Game of Thrones, or if you just love dragons and war... You should probably go to Belfast. And here's what you should put on your to-do list. We'll have all the links in our show notes. So here we go. Number one, the Glass of Thrones Trail. This is a commemoration of 10 years of filming the world's most loved TV show in Northern Ireland. So in honor of it, Tourism Ireland created these six huge stained glass windows that depict scenes from Game of Thrones on a two-mile walk that leads you to the immense Titanic Studios. Number two. A visit to Belfast wouldn't be complete without meeting the world's most famous extra face-to-face. So if you loved Andy, you can book at GameOfThronesTours.com and take a tour with the amazing Andy McClay. There are also helicopter tours, private tours, and group tours some of the biggest and best locations from the show. Number three, for a bit of Game of Thrones roleplay and some fine Winterfell dining, you can visit the Quan in Strangford. It's a short trip from Belfast. So the Quan is a pub and B&B, which uh, became a bit of a hub for the actors of the show. And it's only a mile from Winterfell Castle, and it offers banquet menus, two-night packages, and archery lessons. Yep, archery. Number four, God knows why, but if you want to relive the magic and tension of Billy and Helen's date, then the Game of Thrones escape room right in the center of Belfast is a must. Diehard fans of the show need only apply. These things are pretty tough. So number five is probably my favorite. Uh, If you're not traveling to later on in the year, November of 2020, we'll see the opening of the Linen Mill Studio. Expect the full works of Game of Thrones geekdom in this incredible and historic building. Thanks so much for listening to the first episode of Passport and uh, safe travels. And we'll see you next time. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Passport Podcast. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. This week's episode of Passport was written, produced, and edited by me, Neil Innes, and Billy Cragen Toon. Huge thanks to Andy McClay, Judith Webb, Pete Campbell, Billy's date, Helen. Hi, Helen. And to John and the rest of Belfast for inviting us into your home. We'll put appropriate links to all of those people, if possible, in our show notes. All of our amazing music in this episode was created by my good friend and genius Nick Turner. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kwasniewski. 
Stacy Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijanski are currently busting a dog trafficking ring in Mexico. They also executive produced the show, which is hosted by myself and the wizardly Andres Bartos. We'll see you in the next place.